Book six, chapter four of the history of Sir Richard Carmody. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Anne Fletcher, Richmond, Tasmania, two thousand and twenty. The history of Sir Richard Carmody by Lucas Mallet. Book six, chapter four dealing with matters of hearsay and matters of sport one raw foggy evening early in the following december the house at newlands presented an unusually animated scene on the gravel of the carriage sweep without grooms walked breathed and sweating horses the steam from whose bodies and nostrils showed white in the chill dusk slowly up and down in the hall within a number of gentlemen more or less mud-bespattered regaled themselves with cheerful conversation with strong waters of unexceptionable quality and with their host mr cathcart's very excellent cigars they moved stiffly and stood in attitudes more professional than elegant the long clear-coloured drawing-room beyond offered a perspective of much amiable comfort the glazed surfaces of its flowery patterned chintzes gave back the brightness of candles and shaded lamps while drawn curtains shut out the somewhat mournful prospect of sodden garden bare trees and grey enshrouding mists at the tea-table large mild reposeful clothed in a wealth of black silk and black lace was mrs cathcart lord fallowfield his handsome infantile countenance beaming with good nature and good health above his blue and white bird's-eye stock and scarlet hunting-coat sat by her discoursing with great affability and at great length mary ormiston stood near them an expression of kindly diversion upon her face her figure had grown somewhat matronly in these days and there were lines in her forehead and about the corners of her rather large mouth but her crisp hair was still untouched by grey her bright gypsy-like complexion had retained its freshness she possessed the same effect of wholesomeness and good sense as of old while her honest brown eyes were soft with satisfied mother-love as they met those of the slender black-headed boy at her side godfrey ormiston was in his second term at eton and had come to newlands to-day for his exeat the little party was completed by lord shotover who stood before the fire warming that part of his person which by the lay mind unversed in such mysteries might have been judged to be already more than sufficiently warmed by the saddle his feet planted far apart and a long glass of brandy and soda in his hand for this last he had offered good-tempered apology i know i've no business to bring it in here mrs cathcart he said and make your drawing-room smell like a pot-house but you see there was a positive stampede for the hearth-rug in the hall a modest man such as myself hasn't a chance there's a regular rampart half the county in fact before that fire so i thought i'd just slope in here don't you know it looked awfully warm and inviting and then i wanted to pay my respects to mrs ormiston too and talk to this young chap about eton in peace whereat godfrey flushed up to the roots of his hair being very sensibly exalted since what young male creature who knew anything really worth knowing that was godfrey's way of putting it at least did not know that lord shotover had been a mighty sportsman from his youth up and upon a certain famous occasion had won the grand national on his own horse only tea for me mrs cathcart lord fallowfield was saying capital thing tea 
never touch spirits in the daytime never have no reflection upon other men's habits he turned an admiring fatherly glance upon the tall well-made shot over other men know their own business best always have been a great advocate for believing every man knows his own business best still stick to my own habits like to be consistent very steadying sobering thing to be consistent very strengthening to the character always have told all my children that as you begin so you shall go on always have tried to begin as i was going on i haven't always succeeded but have made an honest effort and it is something you know to make an honest effort try to bear that in mind you young gentleman this genially to godfrey ormiston not half a bad rule to start in life with to go on as you begin you know oh always provided you start right you know my dear fellow shot over observed patting the boy's shoulder with his disengaged hand and looking at the boy's mother with a humorous suggestion of self-depreciation now as formerly he entertained the very friendliest sentiments towards all good women yet maintained an expensively extensive acquaintance with women to whom that adjective is not generically applicable but lord fallowfield was fairly under way words flowed from him careless of comment or of interruption he was innocently and conspicuously happy he had enjoyed a fine day's sport in company with his favourite son whose financial embarrassments were not it may be added just now in a critical condition and then access of material prosperity had recently come to lord fallowfield in the shape of a considerable coal-producing property in the north of midlandshire the income derived from this amounting to from ten to twelve thousand a year was payable to him during his lifetime with remainder on trust in equal shares to all his children there were good horses in the whitney stables now and no question of making shift to let the house in belgrave square for the season while the amiable nobleman's banking account showed a far from despicable balance and consciousness of this last fact formed an agreeable undercurrent to his every thought therefore was he even more than usually garrulous according to his own kindly and innocent fashion very hospitable and friendly of you and cathcart to be sure he continued to throw open your house in this way kindness alike to man and beast man and beast for which my son and i are naturally very grateful lord shotover looked at mary again smiling little mix that statement isn't it he said unless we take it for granted that i'm the beast <laughs> i was a good deal perplexed i own mrs cathcart as to how we should get home without giving the horses a rest and having them gruelled fourteen miles a precious long fourteen too put in shotover oh so it is his father agreed a long fourteen and my horse was pumped regularly pumped i can't bear to see a horse as done as that it distresses me downright distresses me hate to overpress a horse hate to overpress anything that can't stand up to you and take its revenge on you always feel ashamed of myself if i've overpressed a horse but i hadn't reckoned on the distance the pace was too hot to inquire quoted shotover so it was meeting at grimshot you see we very rarely kill so far on this side of the country 
breaking just where he did i'd have bet on that fox doubling back under tailpenny wood and making across the vale for the earths in the big brockhurst warren lord shotover declared you though said his father very reasonable forecast very reasonable indeed quite the likeliest thing for him to do only he didn't do it don't believe that fox belonged to this side of the country at all don't understand his tactics if it had been in my poor friend denier's time i might have suspected him of being a bagman lord fallowfield chuckled a little ran too straight for a bagman shot over remarked well he gave us a rattling good spin whosever fox he was oh didn't he though said lord fallowfield genially he turned sideways in his chair threw one shapely leg across the other and addressed himself more exclusively to his hostess haven't had such a day for years he continued and a very pleasant thing to have such a day just when my son's down with me very pleasant indeed it reminds me of my poor dear friend henneker's time good fellow henneker i liked henneker never had a better master than tom henneker very tactful nice-feeling man and had such an excellent manner with the farmers ah here's cathcart and not how do you do not always glad to see you very pleasant meeting such a number of friends very pleasant ending to a pleasant day hey shot of her mrs cathcart and i were just speaking of poor tom henniker you used to hunt then cathcart uh, do you remember a run just about this time of year it may have been a little earlier i tell you why it was the second time the hounds met after my poor friend alborough's funeral lord alborough died on the twenty-seventh of october john knott said the doctor limped in walking he suffered a sharp twinge of sciatica and his face lent itself to astonishing contortions plain man not lord fallowfield commented inwardly monstrously able fellow but uncommonly plain oh, so's cathcart for that matter well dressed man and very well preserved as to figure but remarkably like an orangutan now his eyes are sunk and his eyebrows have grown so tufty then he glanced anxiously at lord shotover to assure himself of the entire absence of simian approximations in the case of his own family uh, oh ah uh, uh, yes he remarked aloud and somewhat vaguely quite right not then of course it was earlier record run for that season seldom had a better we found a fox in the grimshot gorse and ran to water end without a check oh and lemuel image got into the tilney brook mary ormiston said laughing a little oh, so he did though lord fallowfield rejoined beaming and then suddenly his complacency suffered eclipse for looking at the speaker he became disagreeably aware of having on some occasion said something highly inconvenient concerning this lady to one of her near relations he rushed into speech again loud-voiced blustering kind of feller image never have liked image extraordinary marriage that of his with a connection of poor alborough's never have understood how her people could allow it 
oh money'll buy pretty well everything in this world except brains and a sound liver dr knott said as he lowered himself cautiously on to the seat of the highest chair available or a good conscience mrs cathcart observed with mild dogmatism i'm not altogether so sure about that the doctor answered i have known the doubling of a few charitable subscriptions work extensive cures under that head depend upon it there's an immense deal more conscience money paid every year than ever finds its way into the coffers of the chancellor of the exchequer so there is though said lord fallowfield with an air of regretful conviction never put it as clearly as that myself not but must own i am afraid there is mr cathcart who had joined lord shotover on the hearthrug here intervened he had a tendency to air local grievances especially in the presence of his existing noble guest whom he regarded not wholly without reason as somewhat lukewarm and dilatory in questions of reform i own to sharing your dislike of image he remarked he behaved in anything but straightforward manner about the site for the new cottage hospital at parsons holt and did he though said lord fallowfield yes i supposed it had been brought to your notice lord fallowfield fidgeted a little rather too downright cathcart he said to himself gets you into a corner and fixes you not fair not at all fair in general society uh, oh uh, uh, cottage hospital uh, yes he added aloud very tiresome vexatious business about that hospital i felt it very much at the time it was a regular job mr cathcart continued oh no not a job not a job my dear fellow unpleasant word job oh, nothing approaching a job only an oversight at most an unfortunate error of judgment lord fallowfield protested he glanced at his son inviting support but that gentleman was engaged in kindly conversation with bright-eyed little godfrey ormiston he glanced at mary remembered suddenly that his unfortunate remark regarding that lady had been connected with her resemblance to her father and the latter's striking defect of personal beauty he glanced at the doctor but john knott sat all hunched together watching him with an expression rather sardonic than sympathetic there was culpable negligence somewhere in any case his persecutor mr cathcart went on it was obvious image pressed that bit of land at water's end on the committee simply because no one would buy it for building purposes his affectation of generosity as to price was a piece of transparent hypocrisy i suppose it was lord fallowfield agreed mildly a certain anonymous donor had promised a second five hundred pounds if the hospital was built on high ground with a subsoil of gravel it is on gravel put in lord fallowfield anxiously saw it myself distinctly remember seeing gravel when the heather had been pared before digging the foundations bright yellow gravel oh yes and with a ten-foot bed of blue clay underneath most dangerous soil going this from dr knott grimly how oh, is it though lord fallowfield inquired with an amiable effort to welcome unpalatable geological information not a doubt of it 
the surface water and generally the sewage for we are very far yet from having discovered a drain-pipe which is impeccable in respect of leakage soak through the porous cap down to the clay and lie there to rise again not at the last day by any means but on the evening of the very first one that's been hot enough to cause evaporation do they though said lord fallowfield he was greatly impressed capable fellow not wonderful thing science he commented inwardly and with praiseworthy humility but mr cathcart returned to the charge the hospital was disastrously the loser in any case he remarked as a matter of course the conditions having been disregarded lady carmody withdrew her promise of a second donation ah lady carmody really the simple-minded nobleman exclaimed very interesting piece of news and very generous intention no doubt on the part of lady carmody but give you my word cathcart that until this moment i had no notion that the anonymous donor of whom we heard so much from one or two members of the committee heard too much i thought for i dislike mysteries foolish unprofitable things mysteries always turn out to be nothing at all in the finish oh uh, yes well that the anonymous donor was lady carmody and thereupon he shifted his position with as much assumption of hauteur as his inherent amiability permitted he turned his chair sideways presenting an excellently flat if somewhat broad scarlet-clad back to his persecutor upon the hearthrug sorry to set a man down in his own house he said to himself but cathcart's a little wanting in taste sometimes he presses a subject home too closely and if i was bamboozled by image it really isn't cathcart's place to remind me of it he turned a worried and puckered countenance upon his hostess upon dr knott upon the drawing-room door in the hall beyond one or two guests still lingered a lady had just joined them notably straight and tall and lazily graceful of movement lord fallowfield knew her but could not remember her name oh uh, shot over he said over his shoulder i don't want to hurry you my dear boy but perhaps it would be as well if you'd just go round to the stables and take a look at the horses and then as the gentleman addressed moved away escorted by his host and followed in admiring silence by godfrey ormiston he repeated almost querulously foolish things mysteries nothing in them as a rule when you thrash them out mare's nest generally and that reminds me i hear young um, lord fallowfield's air of worry became accentuated young carmody's got home again at last yes mrs cathcart said richard and his mother have been at brockhurst nearly a month have they though exclaimed lord fallowfield he fidgeted it's a painful subject to refer to but i should be glad to know the truth of these nasty uncomfortable rumours about young carmody you see there was that question of his and my youngest daughter's marriage i never approved shot over backed me up in it he didn't approve either and in the end carmody behaved in a very high-minded straightforward manner came to me himself and exhibited very good sense and very proper feeling did carmody admitted his own disabilities with extraordinary frankness too much frankness i was inclined to think at the time 
it struck me as a trifle callous don't you know but afterwards when he left home in that singular manner and went abroad and we all lost sight of him and heard how reckless he had become and all that it weighed on me i give you my word mrs cathcart it weighed very much on me i've seldom been more upset by anything in my life than i was by the whole affair of that wedding i am afraid it was a great mistake throughout mrs cathcart said she folded her plump white hands upon her ample lap and sighed gently mm, wasn't it though so i told everybody from the start you know commented lord fellowfield it caused a great deal of unhappiness oh, so it did so it did the good man said quite humbly he looked crestfallen his kindly and well-favoured countenance being overspread by an expression of disarmingly innocent penitence it weighed on me i should be glad to be able to forget it but now it's all cropping up again you see there are these rumours that poor young carmody's gone under very much one way and another that his health's broken up altogether and that he's shut up in two rooms at brockhurst and because well, it's a terribly distressing thing to mention but that's the common talk you know because he's a little touched here the speaker tapped his smooth and very candid forehead a little wrong here horrible thing insanity he repeated at this point dr knott who had been watching first one person present and then another from under his shaggy eyebrows with an air of somewhat harsh amusement roused himself pardon me all a pack of lies my lord he said and stupid ones into the bargain sir richard carmod is as sane as you are yourself oh is he though the other exclaimed brightening sensibly thank you not it is a very great relief to me to hear that only a man with a remarkably sound constitution could have pulled round i quite own he's been very hard hit and no wonder typhoid and complications oh complications inquired lord fallowfield who rarely let slip an opportunity of acquiring information of a pathological description yes complications of the sort that are most difficult to deal with emotional and moral beginning with his engagement to lady constance oh dear me this piteously from that lady's father an ending his satanic majesty knows where i don't it's no concern of mine nor of anyone else's in my opinion he has paid his footing every man has to pay it sooner or later to life and experience and personal acquaintance with the thou shalt not which for cause unknown goes for so almighty much in this very queer business of human existence he has had a rough time never doubt that with his high-strung arrogant sensitive nature and the dirty trick played on him by that heartless jade dame fortune before his birth for the time this illness had knocked the wind out of him if he sulks for a bit small blame to him but he'll come round he is coming round day by day as he finished speaking the doctor got on to his feet somewhat awkwardly his subject had affected him more deeply than he quite cared either to own to himself or to have others see Ooh, that plaguy sciatic nerve again he growled 
Lord Fallowfield had risen also. Capable man, not, but rather rough at times. Rather too didactic, he said to himself, as he turned to greet Miss St. Quentin. She had strolled in from the hall. Her charming face was full of merriment. There was something altogether gallant in the carriage of her small head. "'I was so awfully glad to see Lord Shotover,' she said, as she gave her hand to that gentleman's father. "'It's an age since he and I have met.' A "'Very pleasant hearing, my dear young lady, for Shotover, if he was here to hear it. <laughs> Lucky fellow, Shotover.' The kindly nobleman beamed upon her. He was nothing if not chivalrous. Mentally, all the same, he was much perplexed. "'Of course I remember who she is, but I understood it was Ludovic,' he said to himself. "'Made sure it was Ludovic. Uncommonly attractive, high-bred woman. Very striking-looking pair, she and Shotover. Can't fancy Shotover settled, though.' say she's a lot of money wonder whether it is shot over uh, uncommonly fine run best run we've had for years he added aloud pity you weren't out miss st quentin well good-bye mrs cathcart i must be going i'm extremely grateful for all your kindness and hospitality it is seldom i have the chance of meeting so many friends this side of the country good day to you not "'Good-bye, Miss St. Quentin. "'Wonder if I'd better ask her to Whitney,' he thought, "'on the chance of its being shot over. Oh, "'Better sound him first, though. "'Never let a man in for a woman "'unless you've very good reason to suppose he wants her.' "'Honoria, meanwhile, thrusting her hands into the pockets "'of her long, fur-lined, tan-cloth driving coat, "'sat down on the arm of Mary Ormiston's flowery-patterned, "'chintz-covered chair.' "'I left you all in a state of holy peace and quiet,' she said, smiling. "'And a fine show you've got on hand by the time I come back.' "'They ran across a ten-acre field and killed in the shrubbery,' Mrs. Ormiston put in. John Knott limped forward. He stood with his hands behind him, looking down at the two ladies. Some months had elapsed since he and Miss St. Quentin had met. He was very fond of the young lady. It interested him to meet her again.' Honoria glanced up at him, smiling. "'Have you been out, too?' she asked. "'Not a bit of it. I'm too busy mending other people's brittle anatomy to have time to risk breaking any part of my own. I'm ugly enough already. No need to make me uglier. I came here for the express purpose of calling on you.' Uh, "'You saw Catherine?' Mary asked. "'Oh, yes, I saw Cousin Catherine. How is she?' an embodiment of faith hope and charity as usual but with just that pinch of malice thrown in which gives the compound a flavour in short she is enchanting and then she looks so admirably well that six months at sea was a great restorative mary remarked yet it really is rather wonderful when you consider the state she was in before we went to you at ormiston and how frightened we were at her undertaking the journey to naples her affections are satisfied dr knott said and his loose lips worked into a smile half sneering half tender i'm an old man and i've had a good lot to do with women at second hand feed their hearts and the rest of the mechanism runs easy enough 
anything short of organic disease can be cured by that sort of nourishment even organic disease can be arrested by it and what's more i have known disease develop in an apparently perfectly healthy subject simply because the heart was starved oh i tell you you're marvellous beings and yet you know i feel so abominably sold honoria declared when i consider the way in which we all roger mr quayle and i acted bodyguard attended cousin catherine to naples wrapped her in cotton wool dear thing sternly determined to protect her at all cost and all hazards from well i am ashamed to say i had no name bad enough at the time for richard carmody and then this very person whom we regarded as her probable destruction proves to be her absolute salvation while she proceeds to turn the tables upon us in the smartest fashion imaginable she showed us the door and entreated us in the most beguiling manner to return whence we came and leave her wholly at the mercy of the enemy i was furious miss st quentin laughed downright furious and roger's temper for all his high mightiness was a thing to swear at rather than swear by the morning he and i left naples with the greatest difficulty we persuaded her even to keep clara she had a rage dear thing for getting rid of the lot of us oh we had a royal skirmish and no mistake so roger told me honoria stretched herself a little lolled against the back of the chair steadying herself by laying one hand affectionately on the other woman's shoulder and john knott observing her noted not only her nonchalant and almost boyish grace but a swift change in her humour from light-hearted laughter to a certain and as he fancied half unwilling enthusiasm but to-day she went on when cousin catherine told me about it i confess the whole situation laid hold of me i could not help seeing it must have been finely romantic to go off like that those two alone caring as she cares and after the long separation it sounds like a thing in some elizabethan ballad there's a rhythm in it all which stirs one's blood she says the yacht's crew were delightful to her and treated her as a queen one can fancy that the stately lovely queen mother and that strange only son they called in at the north african ports and at jib and madeira and the cape de verde and then ran straight for rio then they steamed up the coast to pernambuco and on to the west indies richard never went ashore and cousin catherine only once or twice but they squatted about in the everlasting summer of tropic harbours fringed with palms and low dim red-roofed tropic houses just sampled it all the colour and light and beauty and far awayness of it and then when the fancy took them got up steam and slipped out again to sea and the name of the yacht is the reprieve that's in the picture isn't it honoria paused she leaned forward her chin in her hands her elbows on her knees she looked up at john knott and there was a singular expression in her clear and serious eyes i used to pity cousin catherine she said i used to break my heart over her and now now upon my word i believe i envy her and see here dr knott she has asked me to go on to brockhurst from here 
it seems that though richard refuses to see any one except you of course and julius march he fusses at his mother being so much alone what ought i to do i feel rather uncertain i have fought him i own i have we've never been friends he and i he doesn't like me he's no reason to like me anything but what do you say shall i refuse or shall i go and the doctor reflected a little drawing his great square hand down over his mouth and heavy bristly chin yes go he answered go and chance it your being at brockhurst may work out in more of good than we now know End of chapter 4 of book 6